If you don't have a Bible, there are some on a rack just outside this door, and you'd be welcome to take one from there and borrow it or even keep it. So we, I'd love for you to open with us to Exodus chapter 13. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Mike is out of town with family this weekend. I'm really excited to be with you in this passage, one of the most uh, famous, one of the most kind of vivid passages, one of the most important passages in the whole Bible, God bringing his people out of Egypt through the sea. And I can imagine some of you sitting out there thinking, uh, I'm sure this is an important passage. I'm sure there's lots to learn from it, but is this really the right passage for Easter morning? And the answer is yes. This is a wonderful passage for Easter. You, you could rightly call this the Easter story of the Old Testament. It's the account of how God makes slaves into sons. It, more than almost any other place in the Bible, it's one of the places where God most clearly reveals that at the core of who he is, he's a saving God. He's a God who loves to save and is mighty to save. Jesus himself invites us to read this on Easter morning. Jesus tells us that understanding what happens here is one of the best ways to understand what he would accomplish through his death and resurrection. Some of you will know that, that Jesus, just before he uh, began his last journey to Jerusalem, he took three of his disciples up on a mountain and they saw something amazing there. They saw Moses and Elijah, they appeared, they were speaking to Jesus. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, that what they were talking with him about was Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And the Greek word that Luke uses there is his exodus. Moses appeared to Jesus on the mountain to talk about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And you know what he was going to Jerusalem to do. Jesus' death and resurrection was the ultimate exodus, the ultimate rescue, the ultimate getting out of slavery. The better we understand what happened here, the better we'll understand what we're, what we're worshiping God for this morning, the better we'll understand what we're celebrating this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's get right into this. This passage contains, in chapters 13 and 14, a, a narrative, a historical account of what happened at the Exodus, and then chapter 15 is a, a celebration in song of what God did. And I want to read that narrative to begin our time together this morning. So please, if you have your Bible with you, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 
and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of, Is- uh, people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's ch- ch- horses and chariots, and all his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth, in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, 
the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this book that is you speaking to us, this book that is your word. And our deep desire this morning is to see Jesus. We want to rejoice in him with all our hearts. We want to understand all the way down what he has done for us. And so I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our eyes and open our ears, and that we would hear you and see Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. So what is this about? Well, it's about God saving his people, surely, but saving them in a particular way for a particular purpose. Why does God do what he does in this passage? He tells us a few different places, but I want you to just look at chapter 14, verse 4. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. This passage is about God making himself known, showing who he is, revealing himself his glory, revealing what it means that it is that he's the Lord, revealing it to his enemies, but also revealing it to his people. Because remember, the people of Israel, they don't have much history with this God yet. They've been in, in Egypt for generations. Now, surely they, they know some of the stories about God's dealing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, but that was hundreds of years before. And now Moses has appeared on the scene saying, God has heard your cries. He's bringing you out. They've seen these plagues. They've just been driven out of Egypt. But who is this God really? What is he like? What's he going to be for them now that they're leaving everything they've ever known? That's what this passage is about. That's what he's showing in this great deliverance. And this is what he wants them to understand. God is able to completely deliver his people out of slavery to their enemies into new life with him. He's able to completely deliver them completely deliver them from their enemies into new life with him. He's able to completely deliver them. They started, he started to deliver them in last week's passage at the Passover, didn't he? He sent that awful final plague, and Pharaoh finally said, all right, get out. And they started to leave, but they're, they're not out of Egypt yet. They're not out of danger. And this passage shows that God's able to completely deliver his people out of slavery to their enemies into new life with him. And you might wonder, well, what has that got to do with me? I don't have enemies. I'm not a slave. No. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, we are all slaves to the fear of death. How often do you think about death, really? How often do you think that it comes for everyone and often comes without warning? The Bible says that apart from Jesus, we are all slaves to our sinful desires. We want things we shouldn't want, and our wants overpower us. They master us. We, we try to change, and we can't. Slaves to sin, slaves to fear. What hope is there for us? God is able to completely deliver his people out of slavery to their enemies 
into new life with him. And God helps us see that reality in this passage by showing us three sides of himself, three, three ways he is towards his people, three facets of his saving work. And the first one is, God is his people's present shepherd. He's our present shepherd, not present in the sense of he is right now, but he may not be later, present in the sense of near. Now this passage doesn't use the title shepherd, but you can see the truth in the verbs that Moses uses of God. So just look, look at verse 17 again, chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. Verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. What is God like? He's like a shepherd going before the people, leading them exactly where he wants them to be. They don't know where to go. They've been in Egypt for generations. They, don't, they have no idea where the land is that they're supposed to arrive at, but God knows and he's leading them exactly where he wants them to be. He makes himself visible as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that at any time of the day, they can see that God is there, that he's going before them, that they're gonna be all right as long as they keep following him. And as the Psalm writer, there's the Psalm writer Asaph. Asaph wrote a number of Psalms. And as he pondered what happened at the Exodus, this is what he wrote about it in Psalm 78, verse 52. He said, at that time, God led his people out like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. This is what a shepherd does. He leads his flock into the good that they could never find for themselves. Look, look in, in this passage at God's concern for them, how well he knows them, just like a shepherd knows his sheep. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God is absolutely committed to getting his people out, getting them free, and he'll take the long way around if it, if it means avoiding the temptation for them to go back to slavery. God is absolutely committed to bringing his people all the way out of slavery. And his commitment goes back to before any of these Israelites were even born. All the way back in Genesis 15, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, your descendants will be, they will be sojourners in a land that's not their own. And they will be afflicted there. They'll be oppressed. They'll be slaves. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve and I will get them out. And, and he's keeping his promise right here. And, and Moses reminds us of this promise right in the passage. Look at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Joseph had died in faith that God would be what he had promised to be, that God would keep his promise to Abraham and lead his people out, and now he is. He is a present shepherd, near to his people, attentive to them, absolutely committed to delivering them out of slavery and bringing them exactly where they need to go. Don't you feel your need for a shepherd? Life can be too much for us, can't it? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to stop doing the things we know we should stop doing. We don't know how to heal a distant marriage. We don't know how to wisely engage in the struggles of our children. We don't know whether we should stick with the, with the job we have or switch careers. We don't know whether we should move home 
to be closer to aging parents. We don't know what to do. We need a shepherd. We need to know that God is near us, that he is able to lead us and care for us all the way through our lives and into his presence. Look how powerful the shepherd is. He's not just ruling over Israel, he's ruling even over the heart of Pharaoh. Back in 14 verse four, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh. God brought it about that Pharaoh's army chased the people into the sea and were destroyed. Now he didn't tempt Pharaoh to sin. He didn't put an evil thought into the heart of an otherwise kind man, but he used Pharaoh's evil desire to lead him into a situation that ensured that he would never enslave God's people again. This is one of the truths about God I most frequently thank him for. There is so much that I cannot do for myself, for my children, for this church, but God can. He's our shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He knows what we need and sovereignly leads us into it. God reveals himself here as his people's present shepherd. And the second side he shows us is that God is his people's gracious savior. He's our gracious savior. He saves by grace. What do I mean? Well, in verse five, we see Pharaoh coming after Israel, right? He wants his slaves back. And so he brings his army and his cavalry, his chariots and his horses, overwhelming force, and he overtakes the people with their backs to the sea. So they've encamped where God told them to be. Now they lift up their eyes and they see Pharaoh marching towards them. But they're not afraid, are they? No. They say, God's got this. He just, he triumphed over Pharaoh with the plagues. He beat him once, he'll beat him again. Is that what they're like? What, is, what does Moses say in verse 10? He says, they feared greatly. Verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They say, we're gonna die here. It'd be better to be slaves. Is that an option? Can we go back to that? This, it reminds me of that place in the gospels where the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in the boat, Jesus is asleep, and the storm comes up and the disciples wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care that we're gonna die? And Jesus rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves, everything's calm, and he says, where is your faith? There's nothing to fear if God is in the boat. And it's the same here. Where is their faith? It's like they learn nothing at all from the plagues and the Passover. But what does Moses say? Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. He says, don't be afraid and don't do anything. Just be quiet and stand there and see the salvation of the Lord. Salvation is not something you do, it's something you see. It's something that's done for you. It's a work of God, it's by grace. He's a gracious savior. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor in London in the 20th century, had a diagnostic question he would ask people to see how well they understood what Christianity was. And I'll warn you before I tell you what the question is that it's not gonna sound profound. Are you ready? This is what he would ask. He would say, are you a Christian? And if they said, I'm trying, 
then he would know that they hadn't understood what Christianity is. Being a Christian isn't something you try. It's something God makes you. He does it all. This is what we celebrate on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. What separated us from God, what kept us enslaved was our sin. Our hearts were twisted, corrupted, bound up with evil desires. All humanity has sinned against God and, and we're under the sentence of death for it. Because of our sin, we owe God a debt we cannot pay. But on the cross, Jesus took the sentence of death. He took the judgment our sins deserved. And when he died, he said, it is finished, paid in full. We did not earn our salvation. Jesus bought it for us at the cost of his life. Like Israel with their backs to the sea, all we contribute to our salvation is our need of it. Maybe you're not a regular churchgoer, but you've come this morning because you know something needs to change. Your life isn't working. You need God, but you don't know what to do to find him. And Moses is saying to you, don't do anything. See, see the salvation of our God. See what Jesus has done and trust him to bring you to God. Or maybe you've believed this for decades, but does this truth grip you? Here's how you'll know. You'll know by your singing. Grace ought to make us sing. That's what it did for the Israelites, didn't it? Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has done his part and we did ours and we did it together. We're a great team. Is that what they say? I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. He has done it all. Nothing will sap your joy more quickly than thinking that your acceptance with God is something you need to achieve or maintain. Jesus has done it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. Maybe you'd say, oh, I know, I know it's by faith, but my faith is so small. Look at these Israelites. They must have had some faith, otherwise they never would have followed, they never would have followed him into the sea, right? But they were weak and they were fearful and God saved them all the same. Salvation is of the Lord. It's by grace. God is his people's present shepherd. He's our gracious savior. And thirdly, God is his people's victorious king. He's our victorious king. This is what the people celebrate above all in that song in chapter 15. Look at 15 verse 1 again. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. What has God re revealed about himself, both, both to the Egyptians, but also to his people? He's a warrior. Remember, what, remember that Moses, back in chapter 14, sold them, he told them, remember he said, he said, God himself will fight for you. You have only to be silent. God will fight for you, and he did. He fought the enemies who were too mighty for them, and he triumphed gloriously. He's a warrior, and he's not just that. 
Look at chapter 15, verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. He's not just a warrior, but a warrior king. Not a king who sits at home and sends his army out to do the battle and hopes they come, come home okay, but a king who goes out at the front of the army, who leads the charge, who wins the victory. What does God do when the, when the Egyptians are closing in on his people? He's there in the pillar of fire, right? He's been out, out in front of them. What does he do? He moves around behind the people and places himself between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Their warrior king went to where the danger was greatest and put himself between them and the enemy. But that's not all he's doing, right? He's the one driving back the, driving back the sea with the strong east wind so that the water divided into walls and his people could pass through. When the Egyptians came down after the people, God looked down from the pillar and he threw them into confusion and he gummed up their chariot wheels. And they said, what did they say? Verse 25 of chapter 14, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. But it's too late. Look at verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Not one. It was a complete victory. God is his people's victorious king. Pharaoh had an army. He had chariots. He had horses. He was so much stronger than Israel, but Israel had God and defeated Egypt completely. Our enemies are stronger than we are too. We cannot in our own strength rid our hearts of sin. We can't change. And there's nothing we can do to prevent death. Even the strongest of us, the healthiest of us, we can't put off death forever. And behind sin and death stands Satan, the one whose temptation of Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world, the one who would use both to make slaves of us. He tempts us to sin so we can draw us away from God and ensnare us, doesn't he? He holds our guilt over our heads and says, God could never forgive this. Don't even bother going to him. He reminds us of our death and makes us afraid, robbing us of courage and joy. But our victorious king has defeated every enemy for us. On Friday night, Bill read from Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 13, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disarmed Satan and his angels and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God has disarmed Satan. He can no longer condemn us. When he holds up before us the list of all we've done wrong, we say, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Or take Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Apart from Christ, death is terrifying. But if you know 
that Jesus has taken away all the punishment for your sins, there's nothing left in death to fear. It's just a doorway into the presence of your Father. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. Through the cross, God has won the greatest of all victories, saving his people from sin and death and the devil. And he has declared the completeness of his victory through the event we celebrate this morning, the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, it meant the debt of sin was paid and the power of death was broken. He faced death in single combat and he emerged victorious and alive on the other side. And anyone who trusts him can know that they too will find life on the other side of death. Until Jesus returns, we will all die. But because he rose, we who trust in him can know that we too will, we will rise with perfect bodies in a perfect world with God forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, which we read earlier, Paul says that when Jesus comes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When Pharaoh's army tried to chase down the people of Israel to make them slaves again, they were swallowed up in victory. They were swallowed up in the sea. And Paul says that when Jesus comes back, death will be swallowed up in victory. When Jesus comes and we rise, death will disappear forever. We will never see death again. Now, some of us have good reason to believe that we'll live another 40 years if the Lord doesn't come. And some of us know we don't have that much time. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead means that death does not have the last word. Because he rose, we too will rise and we will be with the Lord forever. Our king is victorious over sin and hell and death. How should we respond? How did they respond? Look at chapter 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. How did they respond? They feared God and they trusted God and they praised God. They feared God. Before they had feared Pharaoh, hadn't they? Pharaoh was terrifying. He was, he was really real to them. He was right in front of them and they, they were just terrified. And God seemed abstract and distant, but not anymore. Having seen God's salvation, now they fear him. They take him seriously. They're ready to follow. They're ready to go to Mount Sinai and receive the law and learn, learn what it is to be his holy people. Being saved by grace taught them the fear of God. If you really understand what God has done to save you, what it cost him to bring you out of slavery, that should not produce a carelessness about sin. It should produce a right fear leading to obedience. Real freedom isn't serving yourself, it's serving the king who died for you. They feared God and they trusted God. They believed in him. They believed that if he could open the sea and if he could destroy their enemies, then he could lead them all the way home to their inheritance. Look at chapter 15, verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. 
the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. He will shepherd them all the way into their inheritance, and he will do the same for us. We can trust him. They feared him, and they trusted him, and they praised him. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. God had said, when I defeat Pharaoh, I will get glory. And he did in the praises of his people. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? When they saw how God saved them, they knew there is no God like our God. No one is like him. God showed his people that he is able to completely deliver them out of slavery to their enemies into new life with him. And what he did for them was just a shadow of what he's done for us in Christ. He is our present shepherd, our gracious savior, our victorious king. Let's close in prayer and then praise our incomparable God. Father, Son, and Spirit, you have triumphed gloriously. We praise you that you have made us a people for your own possession. We were dead in sin. We were enslaved, and you had mercy on us. We praise you, Father, that you chose us for salvation in Christ. We praise you, God the Son, that you willingly laid down your life to deliver us. We praise you, God the Spirit, that you have given us new hearts to believe, to trust, to treasure Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would make the truth of what you have done sing in our hearts, that you would cause us to trust and treasure you above all things, and that you would help us today to rest in the victory that you have won through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.